Uh, but Merry Christmas, you guys. So good to see you. Thanks for taking time out of your Christmas morning to come be with us and how wonderful it is to just spend some time in concentrated form uh, thinking about the birth of Jesus and what that means for us and uh, the message of Christmas and how it changes our life. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 1. going to be looking at verses 18 through verse 23 of chapter 2. And uh, we're going to be looking at some of the prophecies that were fulfilled when Jesus was born. Uh, about 12 years ago or so, uh, I got a little ambitious and just wanted to memorize more of the Bible and set out um, to memorize the book of Matthew and uh, only made it through chapter 6, only made it through maybe chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, and one thing though, when you spend time memorizing scripture and you're just chewing it over and mulling it over, some things stick out to you. What stuck out to me through uh, the book of Matthew and the birth of Jesus story was how often prophecy was fulfilled. And Matthew would put this phrase in there over and over again, and it was this phrase, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Just incredible how many prophecies Jesus fulfilled in, uh, in the story of his birth, in the chronology of his birth. Now, we're going to be looking at some prophecies, and prophecy is an interesting thing. You know, when you read the Old Testament, I think Numbers is one of the first mentions of a prophet and of prophecy happening. And, and you know, the same was true back then as it is today, that prophets, as well, of the, as well as those that are really interested in Bible prophecy, we can get a little kooky sometimes. You know, we can get a little bit like, haven't you seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy? You know, or whatever. Or, you know, haven't you studied the prophecies of the Avengers series? You know, or whatever. And there's all these little you know, even the funny thing about Hollywood is their best story with their best dilemmas and problems and their need for a hero, it's just all basically copying what we have in Jesus as our great champion from heaven. You know, I, I don't think it was uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. No, or, or who's the one that sings, uh, oh gosh, I'm holding on for a hero. It's not Olivia Newton-John. Billy Ray Cyrus. Well, there's another Billy Ray or something. Anyways, my 80s rock stars are way off right now. Um, but, you know, Israel was holding on for a hero. And it goes clear back to the Garden of Eden and the entrance of sin into the world through our disobedience and our rebellion and our thinking we knew better than God. And when we were caught in our sin, right off the bat, God has a plan to deliver us from our sin. It's in Genesis 3.15, which is called... The Proto-Evangelion, uh, which in Prineville talk is the first gospel. That's, that's the first place we see the gospel in the Bible. It's in Genesis 3.15. When we're caught in our sin, Jesus tells Mary that she'll give birth and through her seed, one of her seed will come and will crush the serpent's head. And in the process, the serpent will bruise this child's heel. And we know that to have been fulfilled at the cross of Calvary, where Jesus, who was born through Mary's line, uh, he, was, he was bruised at the cross, but ultimately he crushed sin and death. And that's one of the best first prophecies we have of Jesus's birth. Now, um, prophecy, it's been said, is kind of like a fingerprint. And as I was studying over this last couple weeks for this Christmas series in Polina and here, uh, I heard that it was in 1910 
that the first fingerprint evidence was used in a court of law to convict a guy of murder. And it all started because the day a man was murdered, he spent the day painting the trim of his house and uh, painted all the trim and got all in, you know, was enjoying an evening at home when a burglar uh, got in and, and I, the details are actually pretty gruesome, but this is a family series. So those of you that have seen Law and Order, you know how it goes, right? Boom, boom. Okay. Okay. Anyways, big fan. Um, speaking of Olivia's. Okay. Uh, so the guy ended up uh, getting beat up pretty good before he committed the murder. He ran out of the house. He ran into town and he was uh, caught by the police but he said that the injuries that he had were from getting hit by a cable car and that he didn't do it. And as the detectives were looking around the house for evidence, they found in the drying paint of the kitchen windowsill uh, the fingerprints of this individual. They used it in the trial, and he was convicted of murder. And funny how this day and age, you know, we, we value fingerprint evidence. It's interesting as we're going through kind of a you know, with the foster care system and stuff right now, you know, you, you go in about every other week to get your fingerprints taken. I mean, it's like, can you get Dropbox or something and put our, put our fingerprints in the cloud and keep them forever? No, it's like, Hey, we're going to need you to go in again. And just in case you're into candles with your fingers, you know, you're going to need to get those things. And so the guy's really nice up at Goff and he very, intimately holds your fingers and you're like a little looser buddy you know whatever and he squeezes them on and he rolls them on and then has to redo one like 10 times before it finally gets in there why do we do all this because we know that if homeboy got in a little bit of trouble over the weekend in crook county that that evidence is going to come up and we're going to know about it right away the same is true for the good things what we do that we do and that's in jesus's case there are over 300 prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled that are of the Messiah. And uh, we're going to see today how valuable it is that these are fingerprints that show us that Jesus is not the culprit. I don't know what the opposite of a culprit is, but I'll just call him our hero. You know, uh, that he's the one that these things spoke of. So uh, let's do a little exercise here to kind of prime our pumps to think about what this might mean in our day and age. So I'm no stranger to the rain, as the song goes, you know, and uh, I'm aware of current events, and I know what's going on in our state and our frustrations that we might have politically. I know what's going on in uh, our nation, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I'm up on the news, and, uh, and you know, I'm realizing that we're holding on for a hero, right? We're looking for somebody to come and to deliver our nation and to bring hope, and the more you look at it, the problems aren't with our nation. It's with the whole world, right? The whole world is longing for and looking for a deliverer, a bringer of peace, a mighty counselor uh, to bring us all together once again and to bring that oneness. Now, let's just say that for our country that uh, someone was out hiking in the Ochicos and they were up around the Steens Pillar area. That's one of our favorite hikes as a family. I don't know if you've made that Steens Pillar loop trail up there, but uh, Steens Pillar, you guys, so much crazy history that you read about and with the Native Americans and human sacrifice and trying to be rain and all this stuff and, and uh, cavalry officers using Steens Pillar as a pillow. Steens Pillow, there. anyways. Uh, and uh, as, as all this happens, like imagine you're up there hiking and you're climbing up Steen's Pillar and you're trying to do a little rock climbing and you find in one of the crevasses a scroll, an ancient scroll, right? And you 
pull it out and you read it and it's kind of crackly and crumbling. You're like, we better get this down to Bowman Museum to Steve Lent as soon as possible, right? So you bring it on down to Bowman Museum and they roll it and they spray it with that special stuff and they got the white gloves on and they roll it on that and they're like, this is incredible. I mean, the this and the papyrus and the writing and this and that, whatever, you know, it all dates back to about a thousand years before Christopher Columbus discovered America. And we would all say, oh, whoa, that's incredible, you know, and, and, it, and it writes on here about someone who was going to come from Oregon. Someone was going to come and bring deliverance for all of our troubles. And we would all say, well, well, that's interesting. You know, tell me more, tell me more. Well, it says within the scroll that this individual is going to come from the line of George Washington himself. And it was often the case from over in the Virginia area, man, everyone can trace their line back to George Washington. And this guy from Oregon is going to be able to trace his lineage through our founding fathers all the way through George Washington. Incredible document. Well, tell me more. What more does this scroll tell us? Well, it tells us that he was going to be born of a virgin. Well, that's pretty unique. And that kind of narrows down the pool. He's going to be born in, oh, let's say 1981 or sometime within that period. Very specifically in the scroll, telling us the year that this individual would be born. Uh, Where would he be born? Well, he would be born in the little town of Bethlehemville. Okay, right? Born in the little, anyone here, 1981, Prineville? I'm already suspicious. Maybe you're in our midst today. Okay, Uh, so born in Prineville. And as it was born in Prineville, envoys from all around the world were going to hop on jet airplanes. Redmond Airport was going to be packed with planes as people would come in and they would come visit this child. He was going to come and be something very special. And as they're visiting, one of the governors of the area, we won't name names, is a little bit perturbed at this individual and is going to rise up and cause the death of, of all the firstborn children in Crook County. So I, this is... I know what you're thinking, like, okay, the, the story's dragging on a little bit. The story drags on and goes on. When we're talking Bible prophecy about Jesus, you're connecting the jots to Jesus, right? And as this all happens, all of these newborn babies are killed. Uh, the father of this individual takes the person out of the country. They flee on down to old Mexico, okay? They go down to Mexico. They spend a few years in Mexico Finally, things are safe enough. They come back to Prineville. Things with the Prineville mayor are a little wishy-washy these days. So the guy decides to head on out to Mitchell. And he's, born, or he's raised in the Mitchell area. And you know what everybody says about Mitchell. Can anything good come out? No, I'm teasing. It's in the Bible. Okay, whatever. All right. Uh, and so, you know, all of these things are adding up. And you guys, this is, this is just a little sampler platter of the prophecies just of the birth of Jesus, let alone everything else that he was going to do. So uh, we're going to go through Matthew's story. We're going to see some of these things fulfilled. I'm going to be a little merciful on you. It wasn't until halfway through my sermon. I was like, man, some of the kids read this already up there. And these, these people are going through it again. Like talk about a Christmas torture story, right? Um, Scrooge McTorture for sure. Um, so as we go through some of these things today, Think about the fingerprints that Jesus is leaving for us to show us that he is this savior. He is this rescuer. He is this deliverer. He is, he is the one we've all been looking for for 6,000 years, guys. 
Uh, so check this out with me, okay? So we're going to look in verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, Now the birth of Jesus is as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Intermission, break. You guys got a YouTube Saddleback Kids Stories from the Bible. I am telling you, these stories alone are so good for our kids. They're so well done. And you guys, the Christmas stories. This afternoon, set your kids down in front. But when uh, Joseph sees Mary for the first time walk by, you know, it's just hilarious, okay? But uh, so he finds out that Mary is with child by the Holy Spirit. Heard that one before, right? No, I'm kidding. But you got to understand what might be going on culturally. And when Joseph hears these things, what is going on? The drama that's unfolding in their hometown. Now, Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Anybody know what the, what the Hebrew form of the name Jesus is? Some of you have that name in this room. Joshua, or Yeshua, Joshua, right? So did you know if your name's Joshua in the room, uh, your name means God is salvation, so why would they name this newborn baby that's, that's on the way? Why would they name him Yeshua? It says there, for he shall save his people from their... Sa- Amen. Oh, get another one. Okay. Now, here's what Matthew goes on to say. Are you with me? I got to... That works. That doesn't. So I want to make sure you guys are reading with me. Verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying... Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You guys, there is so much Christmas theology in this. We don't have time today to break it all apart. Do some homework and do some time in this. You will be blown away. But essentially, the fingerprint right here is that Jesus fulfilled Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14 through 16. This says that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Any bilingual fans in the room? You know, he had that whole shtick for a while that was, uh, here's your sign, here's your sign, here, nobody? Me neither. Just good that we've clarified that. Um, uh, more of a Jeff Fox would do. Okay, anyways, here's your sign. Isaiah says this to the king of Israel. You want to, king said, I don't even want a sign. Leave me alone. He says, well, you're going to get a sign. Here's your sign. And it's one that we don't, we don't see too often, right? It's that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And just one evidence that Jesus is God, he's not just a mere man or a mere prophet, is that one of the names that he's called, it's a fulfillment of Isaiah, God's with us, okay? All right, so moving along, verse 24, then Joseph being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought her first brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Chapter two. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay, so uh, we already read this. I think I saw maybe Ira read this part or so. But uh, we see that this whole drama unfolds with the wise men before Herod. Herod 
was a paranoid puppet king. He was always afraid that somebody was going to come in the scene and take his throne away. So he did these crazy things. He would build these fortresses so that he could escape and no one could ever take his throne. We went to one of them about a month ago called Masada, right overlooking the Dead Sea, this incredible mountain fortress. Google it. Better yet, join us on our next Israel trip, okay? Masada was one of those fortresses, but another fortress was called the Herodian. Anybody remember a Hugh Grant movie years ago? Um, Hugh Grant. No, not Hugh Grant. He's a British guy. I'm really good with my pop culture and my (laughs) Hugh something or other, okay? Um, And he was a part of a village that wanted to become famous for their mountain, but they found out their mountain was like 200 feet short of being a mountain and instead it was a hill. So he joins the city in building this hill and they got buckets of dirt and they just raised this thing up so that indeed they would really have a mountain. Okay. Um, the same thing was with Herod. He thought someone's going to come and take my throne. So by the fields of Bethlehem, he takes this little hill and he builds it up into a, into a fortress and it overlooks the fields of Bethlehem. And it was there that he sat thinking no one will ever take my throne. And here come these wise men and say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews who was born this day. He's like, wait a minute, I'm the dude sitting up in this fortress. I'm the king of the Jews. And they're like, no, not you, silly, somebody else. Turns out he's in a little cave in the shepherd's field right below the fortress. And he's gonna change the whole world, all right? And this all was that it might be fulfilled, and it's in verse six, what was written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the whole time, Herod's got his little Herodian mountain castle that he's built. It's looking over the fields of Bethlehem, and he's forgetting the Jewish prophecy that's, hey, Bethlehem, out of you will come a ruler, okay? And that's happening this very night with Herod. It's a prophecy fulfillment of Micah chapter five, verse two. Can you hear the of the fingerprint in the paint of Jesus right there? I don't know if you guys are a little distracted like me right now, but I'm really looking forward to Christmas dinner. Okay. Uh, from our, from our 4-H steer grain finished. (laughs) Okay. We've got a brisket that's been on the smoker till like one o'clock last night. It's literally called the midnight brisket and it was on at midnight. Okay. Oh, and I took it off and it's marinating in this delicious Arby's sauce. It's literally an Arby's recipe. I found it online. Anyways. Oh guys, I can't wait. Probably about five o'clock tonight. I'm going to be biting into this thing. This brisket has a few things in common with Jesus. Jesus so warm and cozy in the manger. My brisket ah, so warm and cozy in the Traeger and When I bring it out into my arms, it will be tender and mild. (laughs) Didn't think so. It landed pretty well first service, but uh, okay. (laughs) The third prophecy from the text of Matthew is that kings from afar off will come bring him honor. Okay, so we know this from the Magi that they come and they offer him uh, gold And frankincense and myrrh, these are all prophetic in and of themselves of Jesus being the prophet, the priest, the king, that he would also die a death and be buried with this myrrh uh, embalming. And as a friend of mine wrote a song, born to die, 
that I might live. That's what Jesus did. And the gift even speaks toward that, uh, the, the gift of myrrh. But Psalm 72 verses 9 through 10 were fulfilled in the Magi coming and, uh, and bowing down before the king. It's something wonderful when you look at your nativity scene today. Think of Psalm 72, that those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him. And, uh, and they will come, it says, his enemies will come and lift the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the isles will bring presents. And the king of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Uh, so your nativity scene, you've got your wise men, you've got your Mary, your Joseph. And have you guys ever heard of an Italian nativity scene? Italian nativity scene? You got your Mary, you got your Joseph, you got baby Jesus, and you got your three wise men. Am I right? No? Okay, Kristen. Thank you, Kristen. That's the look I was looking for right there. The only one, I think. Uh, And so it was a prophecy that the wise men would come from Babylon, from the east, and they would come and they would offer gifts. Uh, Moving on. He lived in Egypt. This is a prophecy of his fulfillment of his birth and his childhood. It says, now when they departed, verse 13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. Are you catching it, you guys? The prophecy, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. Isn't that interesting? Like, this is kind of random stuff. Like, ah, first you're in Nazareth, then you go down to Bethlehem, then you go down to Egypt, then you're going to go back to Bethlehem, but it's dangerous. They're going to go back to Nazareth. And it's like, ay, ay, ay. It's all prophecy fulfilled. That's what's amazing is this isn't easy stuff to just make happen. Okay. It's a prophecy from Hosea 11, 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Fulfilled in Jesus, Matthew tells us. John Newton wrote the hymn, where it says, let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood and he has brought us nigh to God. How crazy to think of when Jesus came back up out of Egypt, or maybe when he was even going down to Egypt, he would pass by Mount Sinai where he himself would be the fulfillment of the law. I love that hymn, don't you? He has hushed the law's loud thunder and has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He's the fulfillment of the law. We don't have to work our way to heaven. We'd never be able to do it. Jesus has come and fulfilled the law that if anyone would believe on him, they fulfilled the law through faith. Isn't that incredible? This is the story of Christmas. Did you know that? Someone once said that every sermon is a Christmas message, whether it's in April or July or whatever, Christmas in July, who doesn't love it? And the reason is because all of Christianity is the story of God coming, being born and dwelling among us and saving us from our sins. This is incredible. It's all a Christmas story, you guys. Now, the next prophecy for us, in my notes it says prophecy four, but I think I double-clicked it and we might be on number five. I don't know. You do the math, right? Okay. And the prophecy is that Herod will kill the young boys, okay? Uh, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he determined from the wise men. 
Are you ready for it? Then was fulfilled. I hope this sticks in your mind as it has for me. Then was fulfilled or that it might be fulfilled. Okay. This is Jesus. The fingerprints are everywhere. That was fulfilled by Jeremiah, the prophet saying a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentations, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I appreciate that Matthew actually tells us where to go look it up, right? It was written in Jeremiah. So go ahead, get on your Bible app, look it up in Jeremiah, right? Chapter 31, verse 15, the prophecy of the mothers in Bethlehem wailing and being just inconsolable because their kids were being just murdered, right? So sad, but prophesied, okay? Uh, Fifth prophecy in my notes, he will be called a Nazarene, okay? Verse 19, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, came into the land of Israel, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned by God in a dream, he uh, turned aside into the region of Galilee and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Did you know that, that it was a prophecy that Jesus would come from that place that can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was prophesied that that was going to be Jesus. It's from Judges chapter 13, verse five. And you see this dual fulfillment of a prophecy in the Judges passage. It's the Lord speaking to Samson's parents about you shall not cut his hair. And you know, he should be a Nazarite from birth. He'll be called a Nazarene. Did you know when you read the Samson story that the ultimate fulfillment of that one who will judge his people, Israel, it's not even in Samson. It's in Jesus. He's the true and better Samson. Samson, anybody remember Samson's weaknesses? Rhymes with schwimmen, okay? The guy had real lady issues, okay? All right? Jesus, the true and better Samson. Maybe not the buys and the tries, you know, but probably the hair. I mean, it's good stuff. Okay, anyways. And, uh, and so Jesus, even in his youth, lived in the Mitchell of, you know, of Israel, right? Lived in Nazareth, but that would be something that marked his life was his humble beginnings and his humble life. He was a man of the people, by the people, for the people. You know what I'm saying? Relatable. And someone who came to serve, the Isaiah 53 passage tells us, to serve. In fact, Mark 10, 45 is a great memory verse for you guys, that even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and in that, to give his life as a ransom for many. It was a life of humility, a a life of servitude, a life that this hymn by William Billings, oh man, there's so much about William Billings that I love. First of all, his name, last name Billings, first name Bill, Bill Billings with the Billy Billy Goat, you know, whatever, Wild Bill, Billy Goat, they had all the nicknames for him. But here's here's the song that he wrote, it's called Methinks I see a heavenly host. Methinks I like this song. But here's one of the lyrics. Seek not in courts, nor palaces, nor royal curtains draw, but search the stable. See your God extended on the straw. 
Isn't that great? Like, our Lord was born in a barn. Oh, were you born in a barn? Well, actually, I do have an excuse. You know, I was born in a barn. You know, laying in a manger. All right? And his life was marked with that humility. Okay, so those were the prophecies of Jesus' birth from Matthew, that it might be fulfilled. Can I give you just a couple more to just wet your whistle for this afternoon? Okay. Number six, it might be like our third number six. I don't know. Okay. He will bring light into the world. It's in Matthew's gospel, just a couple chapters later, after Jesus is baptized, after Jesus spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, fasting and being tempted, that after he's anointed with the Holy Spirit for ministry, that he goes into the land of Galilee. Now, Matthew tells us by him going into Capernaum and making that his headquarters of ministry, it says uh, uh, there in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Here it is, verse 14. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. You guys, this is a Christmas passage. In fact, all through history, this passage, though it didn't come in Matthew 2, it came in Matthew 4, it still was a prophecy of Jesus' birth. History has confirmed that. In fact, in a famous, it's a famous Christmas text, it's been called. It's enshrined in Handel's Messiah. You know the song, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Okay, there's a verse in there, though, that attributes this prophecy to Jesus's birth, all right? So it's the Christmas story, you guys, that those who have dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. Now, this speaks to us today. You know, we would say that our land, it's a dark place right now. We're going through a time of darkness But a lot of the message that's out there in our world and our culture is, but you have the light within you. And so just open up your heart, you guys, and just go ahead and just let your light shine and it'll just change the world and change our nation and change our culture, right? But the message here is that there was nothing on this earth that was going to bring hope. The people who dwelt in darkness were just going to go ahead and simmer in their darkness and perish unless hope came from the outside, if I may say from the upside, and come down to us. And that's the story of Christmas. That's the message of Christmas is that we, on our best day, are never good. Sorry, I mean, this is not what you're going to get in your self-help class that you've been attending on Wednesday nights, you guys. We are never, on our best day, going to be able to redeem ourselves or our people from our sins. It'll only make it worse and we'll become more prideful in self-righteousness or more condemned because it's not even getting close to it, okay? Our only hope is when we turn to the guy we've been studying about who's been leaving his fingerprints all over so that we can turn to him in hopes that he will save us, redeem us, and put us back into a Garden of Eden state. And you know what the beautiful thing is? He will. He will do just that. But doesn't it take humility and brokenness and a little bit of childlike faith to say, I can't do it on my own. We can't do it. We are so messed up. Look at this, man. 
we had an election and we thought it was just going to change everything. Or, you know, we put our hope in men, this, that, and the other. I thought the guy in the red hat was going to save us. I thought the guy in his basement was going to save us. I thought that this, no one's going to save us. They're just man. The best, best man is a man at best. But the God man, fully God and fully man, truly God and truly man came to save us. And that's the message of Christmas. He brought the light and has caused it to dawn upon us couple more prophecies, maybe sort of, kind of. Okay, here we go. You didn't give us time to nod one way or the other. I know, this isn't my first rodeo. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 tells us that he would be a child born with namely actions of heroic deity. Okay, check it out. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a... Could this be talking about Christmas, maybe? Right? For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end, and his peace, there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forth, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What a prophecy of the godly godliness of Jesus. Okay, he's not just a man, he's not just a prophet. He's gonna come, child's gonna be born, son's gonna be given. Here's one of his names, God, right? How's it, how's it put it? Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, right? These are incredible titles reserved for God himself. Tim Keller wrote this. Some have argued that the supreme miracle of Christianity is not the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, but the incarnation, the beginningless, omnipotent creator of the universe took on human nature without the loss of his deity so that Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth, was both fully divine and fully human. Of all the things that Christianity proclaims, this is the most staggering. How incredible. J.I. Packer said, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The boyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. Man, you know I love me an Easter message, right? You know, I love me the resurrection, best proof fact in history, man, the crowning proof of Christianity. But this Christmas, I'm learning the incarnation can go toe to toe with the resurrection. Both are good. Both are good, right? In fact, J.I. Packer goes on to say, if we can believe the incarnation, then we can believe everything else that Jesus promises for us. Dorothy Sayers, and we're wrapping up, guys. I know how to read a room. You guys are just thinking about your brisket, your little baby brisket, just sitting on the trigger all lonely right now. Okay. Dorothy Sayer was a British essayist and novelist, and she wrote this years ago. The incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to uh, sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. 
He himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial initiation of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us. This is the clincher for me. And thought it well worth his while. He thought it well worth his while. So when you go and you look at your little nativity scene and you see little baby Jesus all cuddled up tight in swaddling cloths with the hay sticking out around him, thank Jesus that he thought this whole plan of rescuing us was actually worth his while. How wonderful. What a great thought. Okay, a couple of fast prophecies. Number, one, uh, number eight, number one in the fast part. He'd be from the family of Abraham, Genesis 22, 18. Keeping with the family tree, he'd be from the line of Jacob, Abraham's grandson, Numbers 24, 7. He'd be from the family tree of Jesse, Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. And from the tree of King David, Jeremiah 23, 5. So this whole family tree of Jesus, it's full, chock full of prophecies. His fingerprints are over it all. And you know, there's someone, and Lee Strobel does a great case for Christmas. You know him from a case for faith and a case for Easter and a case for a good mullet and and a case for Christmas. Great book. And he says that people would look at these prophecy things and they would say, well, there's the coincidence argument. Isn't it just a coincidence that Jesus fulfilled a whole bunch of these? Will you bear with my nerdiness? I do have a little bit in me. Check this out. Someone estimated that the probability of just eight of the over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus's coming would be fulfilled is one chance in 100 million billion. That number is millions of times greater than the total number of people who've ever walked the planet. Oh, isn't it just a coincidence that he fulfilled it? Maybe it's somebody else. Like do your homework and your math, people. I don't, I own a calculator. It's on my phone. This is a lot of big zeros at the end of things. Okay. He calculated that if you took this number, uh, oh, he said this, if you took this number of silver dollars, they would cover the state of Texas to a depth of two feet. If you marked one silver dollar among them and had the, had a blindfolded person wander the whole state and bend over to pick up one coin, that would be the odds of him choosing the one that had been marked. Just incredible. Jesus isn't just any regular dude. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies. Peter Stoner was a mathematician from Westmont College, a professor. He said that uh, as he investigated the prophecies for himself, he estimated that the probability of fulfilling 48 of these prophecies was one chance in, are you ready for it? I didn't even know this was a number. A trillion, 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 trillion for Jesus to have fulfilled 48 of them. Okay. And he goes on to say, our minds can't comprehend a number that big. That is a staggering statistic. That's equal to the number of minuscule atoms in a trillion, 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 billion universes, the size of our universe. The odds alone can say it would be impossible for anyone to fulfill the old Testament prophecies. So we're going to have the worship team come back up. And, uh, what do we do with all of this? You guys, I say we all just walk out of this place with our head held high, 
being filled up with a whole lot of great information, right? No, that was totally, let, let me pull the rug out from under you real quick, right? You know, because the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Someone once said that, that the, the bulk of humanity will miss heaven by 18 inches. On that day when they die, they'll miss heaven by 18 inches. And why do they say that? The man said, it's because that's the distance between your head and your heart is 18 inches. And it's so true, you guys. So many people know the story of Christmas. They've heard about Jesus. They know at least like two or three of these things like, ah, Bethlehem, right? Nazareth, oh, virgin birth, you know? You can kind of spout off a few of those things. But have these things changed your life like they should? Have you let the Holy Spirit, like, take it from here and impress it into here? It's called being born again. It's really the message of Christmas. Every salvation message is a Christmas message. Where we realize our lamp is not lit. And we need the light from heaven to come and illuminate us. Light us up. The prophets would speak of the day coming when, when the, he would take out our heart of stone that doesn't beat, there's no life, it doesn't know God. And he would put in us a heart of flesh, a heart of life that beats and knows the Lord. And no one even has to say to you, hey, know the Lord. And you'd be able to say, I already know the Lord. Like he's living inside of me. And I just wonder, has that happened to you? As you come in here today, maybe you've got all kinds of really great moral boxes checked. Maybe you're just prim and proper and clean shaven and just, you know, none of your fingerprints have ever showed up anywhere in the system. You know, anything like that. And you know what? None of that. The Bible says all of our best righteousness is like filthy rags in comparison to the pure, just, and right God that he is. And that we need his help. We need him to come and clean house and rub-a-dub scrub and cleanse us from the inside out. Has that happened? More than just your merit. Your merit doesn't measure up. In fact, the book of Romans says that on that day, many people will stand before the judge and they're going to be listing off all kinds of things. Why God should let them into heaven and blah, 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 and I did this and that and all that. And Romans tells us, ah, so that every mouth can be stopped. God's going to actually do the whole, okay, that every mouth would be stopped and every man be found a liar. Because Romans says, by the works of our flesh, no one will be justified. So how are we saved? How are we justified? How are we cleansed? How do we know we're born again? How do we go to heaven? By resting and believing in the work that Jesus did in Christmas and in his life and in his living and in his dying and in his resurrecting and in his ascending and in his living right now. We rest in what he's done. And when we do that, all of his goodness is pushed into us and all of our badness is taken out and put upon him. Have you had that happen? Have you had that happen? I'm not asking, you know, 
if you have a real tree or a fake tree this year. I'm not asking you, you know, were you a bit of a Scrooge or were you, uh, did you put some tinsel up? I'm not asking, you know, how'd you vote this year? Are you an American? I'm not asking any of that stuff. I'm asking, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Wouldn't it be amazing if Christmas Day 2022 was the day that you were born again? I want to lead you in a prayer to take you to that place, right where you're at. Why don't we all just bow our head and close our eyes? And It's not the prayer that's anything special, you guys. I'm just trying to help you articulate your need for God. And so just the best that you can in your heart, just pray after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm hearing today that you are the fulfillment of all the words that were spoken hundreds and thousands of years before you even walked on this earth. The probability is astounding. And so, Lord, I hear today that you are the hero of the world, the savior of the world, and that you came with the name Jesus, so that you could save your people from their sins. Well, today I'm a sinner. And so I come to you and I ask for saving. I ask for forgiveness. I ask for cleansing. Wash me as white as snow, God. You know what I've done. I know what I've done. Nothing that I've tried to do has given me a clean conscience feeling. I still feel that guilt nagging me. Lord, I want to be able to lay my head down on my pillow and know that I'm right with you. And so I ask today for forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ that was made possible by him coming and being born and living and dying and resurrecting. Let that be for me, Lord. I receive it today. Thank you for forgiving me. Let my life be lived now in awe and wonder of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.